Mayfield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Here we go, live in San Jose. It's Cofield, JBT, along in just a little bit. The fellows will be doing the game. There's actually two big games in the state of Nevada. Well, one's actually played in Nevada. The other one's up here in San Jose. Because we're on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. San Jose taking on the Rebels. And then the most heated game of the night is going to be Colorado State against Nevada, Adam. And, you know, we know from talking to people up there and reading stuff after Norvell went bye-bye. And I got a chance to talk to Norvell at the Mountain West Conference Media Day. He is not a well-liked man in Reno. And I, I thought it the, the Mountain West Conference Media Day kind of poured a little salt in the wound by further talking about all the financial stuff and the support not being there. So this was not the way the season was supposed to go, certainly for Colorado State. Uh, it's been okay for Nevada. I can only imagine the energy as Norvell comes back after really not, not only pointing out uh, what he didn't like uh, about the atmosphere and the lack of support, but also trying to take every freaking player he could from the Wolfpack. Yeah, I mean, look, it's what has been allowed to happen in college. We haven't really seen it done like this, but the rules are there for it to happen, and he did it. And in terms of taking shots on the way out, I get how a fan base and how a city would not be happy with that, but yeah. isn't that what a coach – like, there's a reason you are leaving the school for yeah. a school in the same league. It's not usually, and especially in that case, it's not necessarily an upward step. It's that there's more support, more money, more funding – and I'm going to point that out because I don't, I don't want you to think that I just did this because I hate you. I'm doing it because there's reasons and you need to step up what you're doing, and, and I think you want to send that message. We in Vegas went through this, right? Sometimes you need a wake-up call, yeah, a call to arms, a call to funding. Like, it's got to get better. And those of us who've been in Vegas for a long time felt this at the end of the 2009 season where Mike Sanford went bye-bye. By the way, off of back-to-back five and seven seasons with, uh, you know, recent history for UNLV football, five and seven ain't that bad. But Sanford freaking lit things up by saying the facilities are not up to snuff. The locker rooms at Sam Boyd suck. And then eventually what happened? Money got got better. Drummed up, and now they've got a facility, and obviously they were part of the mix Until, for the for Allegiant Stadium. But sometimes point, you need to be kind of shaken into shape. Yeah, to that point, people were angry. Why is he doing that? And, again, it, in his case, it's different. Yeah. It was different because this wasn't him just leaving a program where he was having some success and going to another one. This is him, you know, getting, 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 fired. getting fired because he wasn't having success, and it sounded like it was excuses. Now, we make the point all the time here, especially me, like not all excuses are just excuses. Sometimes there are reasons, and they're valid. And he was pointing out valid things, even though it sounded like excuses at the time, because of the situation he was in. This is why I wasn't winning, because you didn't do this for me. Well, it was true. Even if it was, it sounded it was the wrong time, it was bad timing, all those things, it was true. And sometimes, you know, those things need to be said, and they send the message. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number four. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights are going on a bit of an exhibition tour out of town, kind of, uh, I guess we could call it a barnstorming tour, even though it's really not. When you talk to people with the Golden Knights, Adam, why do they play exhibition games in Salt Lake and Boise? Well, one of the reasons, and when Bill Foley kind of announced this team and, and 
you know, came on the scene, he said he wanted to be, you know, the the hockey franchise of the Rocky Mountain region. Now, unfortunately for them, Colorado got very, very good, won a, won a Stanley Cup during that time. So uh, that kind of takes away. But I think there is still that that plan in place where they want to have their footprint not only in southern Nevada but also northern Nevada and uh, all the way up, you know, through where Bill Foley's ranch is up in, in Montana and that whole region that doesn't really have a professional, you know, or a major league sports franchise to call their own in any of those areas, it's a good spot for them to, you know, for them to kind of make their mark. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to spread that imprint. They do the, the off-season tours. They take the bus and take some players and the mascot and some people around the franchise and kind of go on this, this whole kind of tour. Uh, and then they continue that with some preseason games. So it, I, I think it's a good business strategy. Uh, to, to try to you know expand your fan base and your region, and uh, they continue to do that. Tell me how much you're loving the band in the background. Come on now, it's good. It's, it's great. Good. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing the uh, our music underneath it instead of the band as much. But uh, it's <laughs> yeah, good. there's a lot going on right now yeah. when we're when we're in 19 locations. So, did you get to see the video of uh, you know they did the nights during the national anthem? I know you hate that, but what I was taken by it's very disrespectful. Was, what I was taken by was the fact that. The arena in Salt Lake is a weird-looking arena when it comes to hockey. Yeah, it's not not ideal uh, for for what for what they have out there. Uh, looks a little small. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the dimensions were. I think it'd be weird to not to play an NHL game, but it's the preseason. Uh, it looked like a mini rink, didn't it? Though it, that's what I'm saying. It looks small. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was or yeah. it was just the angle or, or how that played <laughs> out. Um, I don't I don't know if. Uh, Vegas. I'm guessing Reno probably does. And Vegas probably did too. But uh, how many times do you ever get to play in like an old parochial, you know, like gym that was kind of a three-quarter court? Because I I'm older than you, and I got to do that all the time, kind of with the half backwards. And when you run the court, you're like, oh, this is great. It's easy to get up and down the court. And then sure. you get on a full court, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes it just looks smaller. So I think that's the case here. It just looks smaller. Like the, my comparison for those here locally would be. The old Bishop Gorman. I mean, I know yeah. most people don't even remember it, but playing in the old Gorman, it felt like you were on a tiny court, yeah. but it wasn't. It was the it was the right size, but it was just everybody was right on top of you, and the, the walls were right at the end. Yep. So it just seemed like it was smaller, but it wasn't. I think that's the case here, where the perspective makes it look like it's a much smaller gym, but it is not. You could actually pull up from like five feet past half court and feel like you're Steph Curry, except yeah. at the time. There was no Steph Curry. I mean, there, there that, was. That was, me, my, that was my range. There was no Steph Curry, and there was no three-point line. That was That's my range. That's where I pulled up. Is that your yeah? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> as, soon as, we get off, as soon as we get off the bus. Number three. All right, we heard about Draymond Green getting into a fight with Jordan Poole. Now, the video came out this morning. It looks absolutely awful. And I thought one of the things when I watched the video that was really interesting is the reaction from people around the quick fight, which was a one-way fight, as Draymond <laughs> Green walks across the court. Jordan Poole pushes him. Draymond Green lands a right hand. Poole goes down in a heap. Did you notice what was happening around that quick punch? It's funny. I've watched it about 100 times, and I only watched the punch in the fall. Yeah. There's an assistant coach or a staffer to the right in a white shirt, and he did nothing to stop them from meeting up. And then after... Pool got punched. He just put his hands in his pocket. Didn't even rush in to break it up. And I think a lot of people have looked at that and have said, uh, yeah, I saw one tweet. 
back to uh, Richard Jefferson and Andrew Whitworth were talking about this, former NBA and former NFL player. Someone said, look at the coaches and players who stood around did nothing. Just watch. That's a good indication that Paul, uh, Jordan Poole earned that. I don't know, man. I don't. I, if you're on the same team, I don't know if you ever earn uh, a guy walking you know, from 50 feet away and punching you in the face. Or that, you know, or that everybody's just scared of Draymond. <laughs> it could be that, too. I mean, is he going to beat up, you know, eight guys trying to break it up? Maybe. I mean, that, that, could, that could be the, the indication. I, I don't, you know, obviously uh, you would think that somebody would be able to handle him. But, uh, look, it also was, you know, this was not an isolated incident. This it, Even both sides have kind of been saying, you know, as we mentioned, as we were talking about earlier, the, you know, both sides of uh, there's leaks leaks out that are obviously from Draymond's side saying, hey, like this was earned, he deserved this, he's been building up, and then obviously the Warriors publicly are saying absolutely not, this was one person throwing a punch and it wasn't acceptable. Uh, so you're getting the comments from both sides, which are pretty clear where those leaks are coming from, but even both sides seem to agree this has been lingering between these two for weeks. It's been building and building and building to this point, and the fact that nobody stopped it before, like, why would they stop it now? Like, you didn't do anything to stop this that was lingering and building up, so why would you try to, you know, play hero now? I, I guess that's part of it, too. Number two. Boy, Broncos lose last night. You know, I've talked about my football history and, you know, my school that I went to and covering UNLV and rooting for the Jets, and I've had some years where I'm like, my God, that year just ended, and it was like, uh, let me do the quick math, uh, like, you know, 7-31. and 31. Right now in the state of Colorado, CU, CSU, and the Broncos, holy crap, if you're watching football in Colorado. <laughs> Not good. Uh, and, you know, we just mentioned Mike Sanford. Mike Sanford Jr., the new interim coach at Colorado. <laughs> So we'll see if he can turn things around there. Uh, difficult challenge. I'll, I'll say this. I do know of somebody locally who's not necessarily a big better, but watched the first Colorado game and decided that they would be unable to cover a game this year. What? So he made a bet okay. and has, has rolled it over every single game against Colorado. Oh, wow. Uh, so he's now won four in a row, and the thought is he's a little worried because he's looking at it saying, okay, new coach, do they play inspired for this next game? Should I wait? It's, it's next week against Cal at home. Uh, do I wait and like see if they're, they play an inspired effort or do I just keep this going? Because he said, after watching one game, said there would be no chance this team would not, not be able to win, but be able to cover a game this season. Holy moly. It's, it's awful. And uh, I, I hope they can turn it around a little bit. And, of course, because – there are some coaches in the Mountain West who are off to good starts. They're being connected to the Colorado job. I don't know that that's a job. If uh, I were Marcus Arroyo or Brent Brennan, that I would have much interest in. Would you? You're saying the the loser of that matchup has to think about going to there? Well, there were not jokes, the winner. Uh, there were jokes by at least one person on Twitter that said the winner gets Arizona State, the loser gets Colorado. That makes sense. They're both does, they're does both it? good. Like, look, the programs are in question for sure, and I think that that's what you're referring to. But they're both good places to live. They are. Um, I don't I, – like, I think everything's in place for Arizona State to be good except the AD and the toxic atmosphere. So maybe that means nothing's in place. Like, they're funded. Um, I don't know that CU has ever been or recently bought in on what it takes to win from a money and facility standpoint. It's been a while. And, and I think they've kind of relied on their past to be what has, you yeah. know, 
held them up and said, hey, people will come here because they remember. But it's getting to the point where nobody even remembers. Exactly. If you were a power in the 90s or 80s, kids have no idea. And you know, Obviously, we deal with that locally in, the, in Southern Nevada. Top story. Number one. Is Russell Wilson just bad? When did he become bad, Adam Hill? I saw that Cowherd was mentioning on his show over on our sister station, uh, Fox 1340, that uh, his deep ball, the velocity on it, and accuracy is shot from what I can tell. Okay, this happened quickly. It's it's a weird. It's really weird because it does look like it. It looks like he shot. It looks like he doesn't even know what he's doing anymore. But then, like when they need drives, now of course the last one yesterday fell short. But the last couple of games, when they've needed a drive, he's been able to put one together, and he did yesterday. I mean, they got down to the four. Uh, he got them down there in position to potentially win. Uh, he also did it late in regulation when it looked like they were trying to put the game away and then threw an interception. So there are plays there. You can't just say he never is making a play at all, but there's way too many stretches where nothing's happening and way, way too many times in key situations where they can't where he can't make a play. Obviously, on the last play of the game, you know, missing an absolutely wide-open, uncovered K.J. Hamler is inexcusable. Uh, but those are the things that are more concerning to me than the arm. Like, it's the, it's the missed reads the not seeing open guys and it's always been kind of an issue because he's short and he can't see over anybody in the pocket but he's also not getting out of the pocket to make plays now like there's just a lot of red flags going up right now about where the denver broncos are yeah it's funny our buddy george from pff uh, wrote last night we went from let russ cook to is russ cooked it's big four four presented by battleborn injury lawyers in reno and las vegas call from anywhere in nevada 766-1400 what was like an ugly accident on a freeway, smoldering smoke and awful. Except you didn't even want to crane your neck to look at it. It didn't slow traffic. People just drove by. They didn't want to look at this thing. That was really atrocious. Generally in football, there is a way out of most of your problems. This is going to be a lot of finger pointing. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett is a head coach. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Colin Cowherd talking about the awful Thursday night football game last night. I'm in San Jose. The band is practicing. I love bands. Maybe not while the show is going on, but we got uh, those of us set up here with a set in San Jose. Adam Hill is down at Treasure Island. You know, we planned on bringing in our... Our, our good friend from Denverland to talk about a bunch of different uh, Notre Dame topics with BYU and Notre Dame going at it. Ryan Harris is in with us, but Ryan, we got to start out with what is going on with football in the state of Colorado in general right now? What a mess! <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You know, it was an honor to be on the call last night with Westwood One, and just a brutal game for the Broncos in terms of ending that. You know, that ending interception uh, right at home in front of your fans, but. Hats off to the Colts. They really played their tail off. I mean, both teams without their starting running back, people overlook that. And that's a huge, huge difference when you have your starting running back go down. And then you got other players that went down as well. Left tackle for the Broncos, Garrett Bowles. And at one point, Russell Wilson, who was already dealing with a shoulder injury, uh, was evaluated for a concussion. So just a lot happened. And, and guys, man, this Thursday night game is getting more and more dangerous. I mean, this is the first year after a 17-game season, and you're already it already feels like the injuries are 40% higher. Well, I want to go there, but I first wanted to step back and say if you 
were not working last night. Could you have made it through that game? Man, I'm 6'5", formerly 315 pounds. You know, I don't know if I, I don't know how you guys sit in those seats, you know, with your knees so close and your ankles underneath. <laughs> so uh, it would have been tough to begin with. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, fans go for entertainment. And, and especially, you know, when it comes to sports, I do it with basketball, baseball. Like, you know, you get to put out what's going on in your life on the team, good or bad, right? Like, way to win, way to do great. It's like, come on, you got to do better. We're really talking to ourselves, right? So, I mean, fans just get to experience that one way or another, and that's what you sign up for. You don't say if being a fan was fun all the time, everybody would do it. True. Uh, you, you mentioned the injury issue, uh, the safety issue for players for those Thursday night games. Do we have to reassess this? I mean, there's still a way to do it. I know the money is massive, and the you know nobody wants to give up the money of the Thursday night games. But can we figure out a way to do it after bye week? Something that that helps out with some of the safety issues. Yes. I mean, the, the, what you could really do is go to an 18-game season, a one preseason game, and, and move the entire season up. I mean, it's ridiculous that it starts the second week of September, you know? that could, that could The NFL should be starting, you know, at least in that last week of August, if not that third week of August, because there's just that much time, and there's nothing in sports going on outside of the WNBA, which has been fantastic, by the way. But you got one other sport to compete with in August. I mean... And you got baseball, but that's fragmented, and that's a dwindling fan base, you know, so say it the stats. So I think there's tremendous opportunity to move up the season. The problem, guys, is you're talking about an establishment that's making north of $20 billion per year. There's not a lot of need for improvement when you're making that kind of money. For sure. It's the voice of Ryan Harris, good friend of the show. You can hear him calling the games on the Westwood One, as you mentioned, then the uh, the Brock, or excuse me, the Notre Dame game against BYU here in town. I want to get into that, but... Uh, man, the Broncos issues, we've been kind of dissecting a little bit. Russell Wilson has been a little injured, but there's been so many issues. Is this fixable? Absolutely. I mean, one game, five touchdowns, and the Russell Wilson chatter about is he the same goes away, right? I mean, and let's be honest, outside of Josh Allen who, who and Patrick Mahomes, who's happy with their quarterback right now in the NFL? You know, even Lamar Jackson has, has detractors there in Baltimore, so... I mean, you just have to understand the nature of the game, and, and that's part of being a pro. You cannot fall victim to the storylines of week four and five in the NFL. I mean, if that was the case last year, the, the Arizona Cardinals were crowned champions before anybody even had a shot, right? I mean, you have to play out the season, and the great teams get better every week. And you're on a different timeline if you have a championship aspiration. That's week 28 in the NFL when you go for that Super Bowl. Week five, yes, you're going to have some issues. Guess what? You're going to have some issues in week 13 as well. Who's willing to persevere, overcome, and address conflict to get better and trust each other to succeed? Well, okay, I mean, I, I agree with you. Well, we can see them snap out of it and be okay, but do will they fix it, I guess, is the, is the real answer. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough in the AFC West. I mean, they faced yeah. the weakest team at the time in the, in the Las Vegas Raiders and, and lost handily you know by two scores and so that's that's the afc west you got the chargers who is justin herbert throw for less than 300 yards i mean this guy's unbelievable and then they get austin eckler moving and patrick mahomes is so good you forgot that tyreek hill played with the chiefs last year i mean that's insane so i don't know if anybody makes it out of the afc west but you know you do have to learn how to win and the good thing for the broncos they got Cortland sutton developing at a high level they also have jerry judy finally playing to his potential as a first round pick and defensively, their picks 
Baron Browning as well as Bradley Chubb have really dominated on the defensive line. They're having success left and right. Is I guess we'll just transition right over to Notre Dame, and I'm, I'm very excited to see this big-time college atmosphere here uh, in Vegas tomorrow. Uh, is Notre Dame fixed? I want to say yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, we're, we're believers here at Notre Dame, guys, so we're going <laughs> to believe yes. You know, it's interesting, too, watching the film of BYU. They've got a fantastic quarterback, a defense that's comfortable in their scheme and knows what to do. And, and at the end of the day for Notre Dame, who they have to continue to develop who they were against North Carolina. I mean, they still yet to score a first-quarter touchdown this season, but then they had almost 300 yards of offense in the second quarter against, uh, against North Carolina, really shut down that offense outside of a couple of plays the entire game, and that was the number one passing offense in the ACC. So it's a matter of who's willing to come out firing. And the good news for Notre Dame is they're coming off a of bye week. So they've had some time to rest, get away from the coaches' voices, and rededicate themselves to winning, winning as many games as possible. So what, what should we be excited about with this team in terms of seeing them in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium? What should we watch for in this game with Notre Dame? Number one, watch for number seven on defense for Notre Dame, Isaiah Foskey. Could be a top 15 pick, could be a first-round pick, definitely not going to go beyond the second round. He is a dominant figure. You can also see him in the video they shot of the hangover parody with Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. And also also enjoy watching number four on offense, Lorenzo Styles. I'm sorry, I think it's number 21. I don't have my board in front of me. But 21, Lorenzo Styles. he's the wide receiver for the, Bron- for the Irish, and he is one of the best wide receivers in college football. He'll be playing in sun- on Sundays in no time. Number 21, Lorenzo Styles on offense, and number seven, Isaiah Foskey on defense. What do, we we know there's going to be a massive crowd. What do you expect the kind of the split to be? Because this is kind of a BYU town, but everywhere is Notre Dame town. So how do you think it's going to look in there? I mean, it's going to be a bowl-like atmosphere. And you know what? This is why you go to Notre Dame. You go to Notre Dame to have a chance to beat the teams that are of consequence all across the nation. I mean, they're playing, you know, on the East Coast. They're playing here in Vegas. They play in South Bend, North Carolina, and then they're going to end the season in Los Angeles. Next year, start the season in Ireland. I mean, you go to Notre Dame because you want to win at everything. And these guys are prepared for this game. And important, guys, Coach Marcus Freeman will be doing the bed check tonight. And I've been told it's 8.30 p.m. So tonight, 8.30 p.m., the Irish will be in their beds. So saith Marcus Freeman, the head coach. Interesting. So I guess we won't see the players out and about uh, in town. What what was your favorite venue besides playing home games? What was the favorite college venue you played in when you were at Notre Dame? I mean, Notre Dame Stadium. I mean, it's the place where the forward pass was invented. Some say God created football right there in South Bend on campus. Uh, But, you know, what's cool, too, playing in the Coliseum was such an experience, guys, that when I got to the NFL – after my rookie year, I went to Italy to see the Coliseum in real life because wow. seeing 99,000 fans in different colors screaming and it's 70 degrees, I was like, I wonder what that real Coliseum looks like. So <laughs> outside of the origin of football in Notre Dame, I would have to say the Coliseum out in L.A. That is, that is very cool. Apparently you just didn't play a game against Michigan at the big house because that would have been the real answer. It's so quiet there for such a big house. It's so quiet. We made them quiet, too. I think they were number three at the time. We beat them. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> this, this is great stuff for sure. By the way, uh, by the way Lloyd Carr's 
grandson is coming to Notre Dame. You know that, right? Yeah, we do, yeah. We, he, I, cu- he couldn't get into woo! Michigan? That's sad. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. You people are all the same. <laughs> all, the, all, the, all the Michigan people. Hey, looking ahead, Ryan, and Ryan Harris is with us, a former Bronco, went to Notre Dame, is on the calls for the Notre Dame games. So UNLV is actually going there in two games for Notre Dame. So what do you think Notre Dame is going to be? They're going to be 3-3, three and 2-4, three, and 4-2. Four, four and They're going to win these next two games? I mean, Notre Dame has the goal right now to be 10-2. and two. And I can tell you guys, you know, whether you're in, in sales, marketing, law, football, you focus one game at a time. You focus one event at a time. And for Notre Dame to get to 4-2, and two, they have to first get to 3-2. and two. And that's something where if you look beyond the pale, you're going to be you're going to have water on your feet. And so Notre Dame learned that lesson with Marshall that really refocused that team. And they're, they're going in the right direction. I believe they'll be four and two in a couple of weeks. Ryan, we appreciate a couple minutes. Enjoy the experience in the game at Allegiant, and thanks for popping on with us. Go Irish. Thanks, guys. There you go. Go Irish at the end. What do you think is going to happen, Adam? Or, oh, no, I already asked you that early in the week. You can't, you can't make a pick at all now? Covering, you can't covering make a the judgment. game. Stop. Covering the game. Stop. Would you be surprised if BYU won by 14? Uh, no. I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I, I think both teams are capable of playing really, really well, and I think both teams are capable of looking ugly and not being yeah. good at all. Well, and you were the one who was joking a few weeks ago when UNLV got off to a good start. Notre Dame was struggling that you know UNL, UNLV could be going against a 1-6 and six Notre Dame team. That obviously ain't going to happen, but do you think they no. could lose the next two games? They could, possibly, sure. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. At this point, Notre Dame seems to have corrected a few things. But the way they were going, it looked that way. Uh, I just hope both teams play really well, and it could be a great atmosphere at Allegiant. It's Nevada Sports Talk Hour with Cofield and Company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Hanging out at Treasure Island at San Jose, getting ready for the UNLV San Jose State game. Also this evening, Nevada taking on the uh, very much disliked Jay Norvell and Colorado State. So a big night in college football. Adam, going back to the conversation with Ryan Harris, who calls the Broncos games, played for the Broncos, played at Notre Dame. What did you make of what he said about the injuries? Are they actually a higher volume number of injuries this year? And is it due to you know switch into the 17-game season last year? I don't know that. I haven't Do we have enough evidence seen, yet? I know I'm like we've seen more like we saw more concussion checks this week because I think there's a focus on it. And it certainly happened more high profile on Thursday nights. But I don't know that there's necessarily more occurrences of actual injuries or injuries that keep guys out or anything along those lines. I haven't seen any numbers like that. So that said, what the hell's going on with the Giants with uh Danny Dimes and Ty God? Well, Ty God is, has been ruled out with a concussion, so he's—I don't—I don't believe he made the trip. Uh, they thought Daniel Jones was going to be out with that ankle sprain. It looks like he's going to try to go, but they did bring in a bunch of quarterbacks this week and work him out. They had Davis Webb on the practice squad, moved him up. Uh, they were looking at other guys to try to bring in, potentially just jump right in and try to play. Uh, looks like they're going to have to because Danny Dimes is going to try to play, but. What is he going to do? He's a running quarterback who really can't throw. It's pretty crazy. So how are you going to play on an ankle? <laughs> I wonder if you told people who don't have imagination to think outside of stereotypes that 
this year the Giants would feature a running quarterback backed up by a guy who doesn't run much and is more of a, a pocket passer now. It's wild. But, I mean, that's where they are. I, I'm very interested to see what he does. How does he modify his game when you take his biggest strength, his athleticism, away? So it's interesting. We're set up. At is he smart enough? Ooh. Can he process defenses? Oh, we here don't know. we go. We don't do know. It again. No, do it he's, again, please. They should have moved him to running back. Please do, please give us a little Bill Polian when it comes to uh, breaking down quarterbacks. Yes. Like Lamar Jackson. Should have moved to running back. He should have done that. Yep. He's trying to play quarterback. That's not what he is. He's not smart enough. He doesn't have enough arm. He's just a, an athlete. That's I don't all he see is. the guy being cerebral enough. No. Even though he went to Duke, I just don't see it. Great. So we are set up at the San Jose State Stadium, and this is, a, I don't know, the third time I've been here. It's bizarre. One side of the stadium basically was a hill, so they ripped out that whole side. By the way, you can hear the music in the background. This place used to be a little bit janky, and I'm never going to rip on the stadium because it's been around for like 90 years, um, and they got a ton of history. But for music, they used to just have a couple of speakers on the field, and a guy literally with like a little, you know, MacBook playing I, i'm not, not lying like you'd go by him and he's he, you know he's jamming out they've they put 60 million dollars into the stadium and i think most of it's for the building across the way but they spent money on speakers so that's a good thing but let me just tell you and i'll talk about this during the game tonight working the sidelines i think they've done something really brilliant here they're never going to get thirty-five thousand people to come to games here right and the stadium's not even that big but they put 60 mil into the stadium and instead of building it out, you know, with another, like, 15,000 seats, they're like, no, no, no. We're going to build our athletic training facility, like our athletics headquarters. We're going to build it right in the stadium. So it's adjacent to one of the sidelines. So it's a building for all of athletics. And then when they're on TV, and next year they actually open with Oregon State, it's just going to be, you know, a ton of San Jose State signage. And then I noticed in the, the write-up, or the uh, picture they, you know, they mocked up. There were like picnic tables out there, so I can't wait to see like twelve picnic tables with people. But I think it's really smart. I think the game is going the way of not needing these gigantic stadiums anymore. So money well spent. Money gonna, well spent. Are you going to go sit at a picnic table for the broadcast? Uh, two years from now. Okay. Absolutely. It's Cofield nice. and Company with the Battleborn Sports Hour. It's presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Seven six six fourteen hundred. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. We're going to talk to Stanford here in less than a minute, but let's do a giveaway. Scorpions and Whitesnake, October 21st, Mick Ultra Arena, AXS.com is where you get the tickets. Scorpions with Whitesnake, caller 7 and 8. We'll give away two sets of tickets, 364 Ari has your tickets. I actually caught up with Stanford Route earlier in the day because he's working with the Houston Cougar program, and they're in Memphis right now. We started off the conversation while talking about the other big news around the sports world, Draymond Green, and asked him if you've ever seen football practice fights that bad where a guy gets KO'd. Oh, man, probably not often that somebody gets knocked out. But then again, you know, I'm usually around football players, so uh, physicality and aggression, they probably can handle it a little bit better than basketball players. Uh, but as far as fights in practice, scuffles, things like that, this sort of thing happens. There's no way around it. And I can tell you for most teams, for most 
for most coaches, you want to have that level of fire within your players. You don't want to see it obviously transpire and somebody get knocked out, but just that physicality or just the aggression and the desire, the grit, the toughness, the want to, the desire to be great, sometimes it spills over. And I think coaches would much rather have a team where they have scuffles rather than have one where they don't have any at all. Now, here's the next issue. Unfortunately, Draymond Green has a history of issues on and off the court. So now I wonder how the NBA is going to look at this. Hearing about a fight is one thing. A video out about a fight is another. And Charles Freewell, also a Golden State Warrior, back, Mm -hmm. what, uh, 25 years ago, got the entire season for choking his coach. Uh, Bobby Portis, yeah, Peter Colismo, Bobby Portis got like eight teams for scrapping and beating the hell out of a teammate. So what do you think the NBA does with Draymond Green? Oh, man, uh, like I said, I... I do remember back when uh, Latrell Spirell and P.J. Carlissimo, but that was the NBA that suspended him for the whole year? Yes. Okay, well then, then hey, then uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, the NBA, they probably will go ahead and step in and do something. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. But after watching that video, obviously it does not look good for Draymond Green. Um, and then it just kind of just boils down to maybe was there some sort of action was there some sort of language was there some sort of word that jordan Poole said beforehand which led to draymond green reacting the way that he did so uh depending on how all that goes who knows but uh draymond green obviously with his history i think that there is going to be some suspension levied down at some point as far as that type of scuffle because when you just watch how he punches him he strikes him in the face that definitely is something that is going to rain violently in the minds mm. of a lot of viewers Stanford route the former oakland raider always breaks down football with us on friday so let's get to it let's talk about last night man the world i feel like is just raining pain the way of russell wilson does he deserve all of this guff oh man i think that um to put it mildly, the word is yes. The answer is yes. And, and That's not mild. That's pretty direct. Yes. And, and and not because Russell Wilson's a bad person, not because he's a bad teammate, nothing like that. It's just that at the end of the day, the quarterback is the top spot. The quarterback is the face of the franchise. The quarterback, they're the ones who get all the endorsements. They're the ones who get all the, the advertisement, the, things like that. I mean, we just saw a contract that Russell Wilson just signed not too long ago for, I think, a max total value of, what, $289 million, $290 million, something in that vicinity, something like that. So we all know, like, whenever you get great benefits, whenever you get – the victor goes with spoils, that's where also you have the most responsibility. And that's when you have to deal with that scrutiny. That's where you have to deal with everybody booing you at the stadium like you saw last night. So with great power, with great resources, also comes great expectations. And that right there is why I say when you ask, does he deserve it? Not because he's a bad person, not because he's a bad player, but just because in this industry, that's what's going to happen at that position. You're going to get that type of guaranteed money. You're going to get that type of salary. You're going to get that type of control within the team. Obviously, that's the downside to it is those heavy expectations. And whenever they're not reached, you are going to hear from a lot of different people their their opinions, and they're not going to come over uh, positively. 
Stanford route is with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. I think it's too early to judge. I think he's got a lot of football left in him, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there right now who are like, Pete Carroll and the GM, John Schneider, in Seattle were right. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, whenever you think about Russell Wilson, obviously we know Russell Wilson is going to be a Hall of Famer. We know that. But like I tell people, if you take away Russell Wilson's Super Bowl appearances and the Super Bowl victory, which a lot of that had to do with the Legion of Boom. Richard Sherman has said it. You've heard Earl Thomas, other guys from that defense years ago that have made sure to point out, hey, guys, we played a big part in, in, the, in the success of the Seattle Seahawks for that time being. If you take away the Super Bowl victory, if you take away the Super Bowl appearances, do you view Russell Wilson in the same greatness light? Do you put him in that same pantheon? Most people probably would. So that's why, from that standpoint of the uh, Seattle Seahawks, that's why you're seeing a lot of people feeling the way they feel. And I think that John Schneider, I think that Pete Carroll, they feel the same way as far as, yeah, you know he's a fantastic quarterback. No doubt about that. But would you be fitting him for a, for a leather jacket? I'm sorry, not a leather. Would you be fitting him for a gold jacket? without the Super Bowl appearances. And the Super Bowl appearances, we played a heavy part in. So that's where uh, that's pretty much where I think a lot of people come out on that for Russell Wilson, especially the Seattle Seahawks. And right now, it's looking like they were spot on with their assessment. I mean, the other conclusion that's coming out is a lot of people are just running to the narrative that Nathaniel Hackett is kind of you know, giving Russell Wilson a raw deal here, and he's just not a head coach. Is it too early to say that about a guy who's only five games in to being a head coach? I do think it's a little bit too early to say that about uh, Nathaniel Hackett, but I tell you this, <laughs> it may be a little too early to go ahead and just simply write that narrative in pen, but it's definitely <laughs> okay to write it in pencil. No doubt about that. And I think that in today's game, when you see all of these young head coaches like a Zach Taylor or like a Sean McVay, who it seems like he's been coaching the Rams for, what, seven, eight years now. And he's only, what, 37, 36, 35 years old, something like that. And then, you know, when you look at a Cliff Kingsbury. So when you look at these younger head coaches and then Matt LaFleur out there in Green Bay, when you look at these younger head coaches that are having this success early on, it is a barometer and it is a precursor into being able to actually see uh, okay you can no longer we can actually use as a crutch on a head coach not being good early on so i think for nathaniel hackett yeah he's definitely got to make sure that he gets things right on the right track in this loaded afc west with the russell wilson because if he's not able to make it work with russell wilson whether it's on the field whether it's just the relationship between both of them yeah it's going to be very difficult for him to go and probably try to get another head coaching job because if you can't make it work with a hall of fame quarterback well i mean hmm. how can you make it work with a run of the mill or an average quarterback because you get a lot of head coaches that they don't get that opportunity to go and be head coach of a of an organization with a stud quarterback so definitely Nathaniel Hackett you're seeing a lot of people looking at him sideways right now for them stumbling out the gate two and three early on Stanford route is up on ESPN Las Vegas all right let's get to the Raiders we'll look back before we look ahead what did you like about the victory what did they do well against the Broncos last week well for one whenever you know um 
we're, we're now seeing this loss to last night to the Indianapolis Colts. It just kind of it, it takes a little bit of the steam, a little bit of the luster off of their victory on Sunday. But nonetheless, who cares? A victory is a victory. Uh, getting off the schneid for the Raiders. It was the way that they pounded the run game. It's the way that they fed Josh Jacobs, showing that obviously he still has a lot of tread left on his tires. Getting the ball to Devontae Adams, letting him go to work, albeit Patrick Sertain, I feel I like did a pretty good job against him. And then just simply making the plays that they need to make and finding ways to take the ball away. We see uh, Robertson with the long fumble return for a touchdown, finding different ways to get in the end zone. Derek Carr, I feel that he still has to play better. Zero touchdowns, zero interceptions in the air last week. We, he has to find ways to be more of a prolific passer, which we know he can be. He just got to be more consistent. That is so. There were several good things I saw within the Las Vegas Raiders last week, but mainly it was getting the W. That was the main thing, getting the W, and that's something that they're going to do. They're going to need to do exactly what they did on Sunday against the Broncos, and much more, so they can go ahead and take down the Kansas City Chiefs Monday night at Arrowhead. Stanford Rout, former Raider and former Chiefs, so you can give us both sides of this. And what is it like playing on a Monday in Kansas City for both the opposition and for the home team? <laughs> Monday night football, you didn't get any better than that. Kansas City Chiefs, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I can tell you, being on both sides of that rivalry, both teams feel this game. There's no doubt about it. The Chiefs are obviously the darling of the NFL still. Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, we all know that. And I think for the Las Vegas Raiders, seeing two years ago when they went in Arrowhead and beat them at Arrowhead, it wasn't a Monday night football game, but it was still an NFL game in week five. Uh, that was a great game. They made some big plays. Obviously, Henry Ruggs, back when he was with the team, he made some big plays. Eric Harris getting that big-time interception at the end of the game. They played a good amount of cover, too, to make everything stay in front of them, make Pat Mahomes go the long, hard way. And then Pat Mahomes threw the, put the ball in the harm's way a couple of times. The Raiders were able to go ahead and capitalize on it. That's what I envisioned the Raiders having to do again on Monday night football to come out victorious. But Derek Carr's got to have a big day. Devontae Adams got to have a big day. I think they're going to have to control the game, control the clock with the run game with Josh Jacobs. So they're going to have to lean on that offensive line that's been much maligned so far this year early on. They're going to have to lean on those boys to go ahead and try to keep Pat Mahomes off the field. It's interesting you mentioned the defense they've played in the past and the D that a lot of teams played against the Chiefs last year. The two high safeties keep things in front of you. We talked to yeah. Danny Hughes, who played for the, the Chiefs a little before you did, and, and he was saying that uh, teams are actually starting to go back at times to man-to-man -man, uh, defending mm -hmm. against home uh, Mahomes and the offense because Tyreek Hill is not there. So yeah. what would you do? Would you play more too high safety or you get aggressive and kind of mix it up? Well, because you don't have Tariq Hill, I think it makes the Chiefs a little bit more guardable, if you will. You don't have to worry about somebody taking the top off the defense like that. And I would go and you, you got to find a way to take Kelsey out of the game, whether it's simply uh, trying to bang him at the line of scrimmage, whether it is running cover two to try to keep everything uh, top down or just simply double covering him. But you got to find a way to take away his number one read, force Miko Hardman, force MBS force uh, 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 Juju Smith-Schuster, force those guys to beat man-to-man -man coverage consistently for four quarters. 
you got to make sure that you take Kelsey out of the game. And I simply would always mix things up. I'm not giving Pat Mahomes the same look twice. I'm always having a safety roll down from one side or the other side. I'm going to be double teaming Kelsey. He's not going to know where the double team is coming until right there uh, when it pops in front of his face. I'm not giving those guys the same look twice. I'm going to always keep them guessing. And then for that split second that it takes them to be able to decipher what the defense is doing, hopefully my man up front, the four horsemen, I got Max Crosby, I got Chandler Jones being able to go ahead and collapse that pocket, keeping Pat Mahomes in the pocket because we all know that once he evades the pass rush, once he gets out there in open space, we know he's truly deadly. So I'm definitely going to mix up all my looks. I got 30 seconds left. What's your pick? Raiders going to pull the upset on Monday night? Ah, man, it's going to be Monday Night Football. The Raiders, they stubbed their toe oh, they stubbed their toe out the gate. Three three straight losses. I'm looking for the Raiders to go ahead and avenge what happened last year twice. They got blown out twice by the Chiefs last year. I'm looking for them to avenge that. I'm going to go ahead and say 35-31. The Raiders get the ball last. Derek Carr punches the ball in the end zone for the victory.